what do people look at at the end of their life? What are their priorities? It is spending time with family and doing the things that they've always wanted to do. So we just are trying our best to connect with our family as much as possible. Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air, helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. Hey there, it's Aaron Schlein here, and welcome back to Family Travel Radio, your go-to podcast for the people and places that inspire life-changing family travel. You've heard a lot of stories on this podcast over the last 53 episodes, inspiring and entertaining stories of real families who have experienced the power of travel together. But my friend, you have never heard a story quite like the one you're going to hear today. My guest is Peter Scott from earthfamilytravel.com, and what makes Peter and his family unique is that the Scott family travel story has only just begun, and no one, not even Peter himself, knows how it will end. Because in June of this year, Peter and his wife sold their home and all their possessions to travel the world indefinitely with their two young children. The Scots are currently in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where Peter graciously took some time in the middle of the night to have a chat with me and to share the details about his and his wife's decision to leave their comfortable lives in Vancouver, Canada to travel for as long as they feel like traveling, living out of carry-on sized bags and on a shoestring budget, all the while maximizing quality time with their kids and living life to its fullest. Heavy stuff, eh? All right, let's do it. Here's my chat with Peter Scott from Earth Family Travel. Enjoy. Peter Scott is joining us today all the way from Chiang Mai, Thailand, where it is currently the middle of the night. And Peter is originally from Vancouver, Canada, and he had not traveled internationally until marrying his wife, Monica, who is an avid traveler, in 2003. And after their honeymoon in Cuba, Peter got the travel bug, and that culminated in taking a year off for an around-the-world trip in 2007 and 2008. And afterwards, Peter and Monica settled back in Vancouver, bought a home, and started a family. And 12 years later now, they have quit their jobs, sold their house, all their possessions, and are traveling long-term with their two young children. And Peter and Monica are sharing their story as it unfolds on their blog at earthfamilytravel.com. Peter Scott, welcome to Family Travel Radio. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. It's about 1.30 in the morning where you are, sir. How are you feeling today or tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. I, uh, I had a little nap earlier, so I uh, woke up, had a coffee, and I'm good to go. Just to, to paint a picture of the time difference, it's 10.36 in the morning here where I am on the West Coast of the United States, 1.30 in the morning there in Chiang Mai. Love technology, love that we're able to connect here and talk travel. So Peter, one of the things from your bio that I find really interesting and compelling is that traveler versus non-traveler romance with you and your wife, Monica. You hadn't done much traveling. She was an avid traveler. Tell me about that, that initial kind of courtship, the traveler-non-traveler dynamic. Well, Monica, actually, uh, her parents are uh, both from Korea, but she grew up in South America. She lived in Paraguay until she was 10 years old, and then she moved to Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And then after a cold winter in Toronto, she moved to Vancouver and was there ever since. So that's where we met while we were both, we're both nurses. We were working at a hospital in downtown Vancouver, though I hadn't 
traveled internationally, I was always intrigued by it. My mom and dad had each done one big trip when I was a kid, my mom to Peru and my dad to India and Bhutan. And I'd always had the interest, but was, I don't know, either part chicken and uh, (laughs) waiting for the right person to go with or whatever. But spent my time uh, traveling around the BC coast because I hadn't grown up there. And I had collected some Lonely Planet guides to some of the destinations I wanted to go to. I had the intention, but I I hadn't pulled the trigger. Then she actually went away to uh, Spain for six weeks after I proposed uh, on her own. That's typically not a great sign, Peter, but I take it that was a planned trip. (laughs) She had it planned before. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, we did a couple trips. We did uh, South Korea, China, and, um, and then started planning a, a big trip together. I, I just love people hearing people's origin stories, how they got the travel bug, who it was that did it. And when people find the, they get the travel bug as young people is interesting, but I find equally as compelling when people find it later in life for, for whatever reason. So tell me, what would you say if you could go back to that, to young Peter, the, the, as you said, chicken Peter and talk to mm-hmm. him today, what, what advice would you give him? I would say save your money and do some solo traveling. I think doing your own thing uh, when you're a young person is great. I think it's on par as like the college experience or, you know, people say, yeah, it's good to get out, make some friends, have some parties and do that sort of stuff while you're young and single and meeting people. I have no regrets because everything's worked out nicely, but I think a lot of people are afraid to sort of to do that when they're on their own. And I think it's really important to, uh, to, to not let your fear stop you. Well, Peter, I did a lot of, I did quite a bit of, of backpacking when I was in my early twenties, sort of that, that rite of passage. You might want to call it a gap year. It was more like a gap two or three years. But one thing I noticed on the road, lots of Canadians, Canadians mm-hmm. everywhere, all the hostels, lots and lots of Canadians. So you being from Canada, how did the fact that the gap year is a pretty much a widely accepted in the Canadian culture, how did that impact you as a young person? Well, I definitely considered it, um, but I just knew myself. I, if I stopped going to school, I probably wouldn't have completed my education. So I'm like, I just got to plow on through, get my degree, and then I'll be set while my parents are still helping me out with the, with the uh, tuition and all those sort of things. So I just thought it, it may be good for some people, but just knowing myself, I might not get back to it. And, uh, <laughs> and things would have worked out a lot differently had I not. Well, and you said something is really, really important. I want to highlight it. You said you had the, you had the intention and in doing things like you said, like buying the Lonely Planet books. You know, you might have been a, a late bloomer in travel, but holy cow, have you bloomed now? And I think that's awesome that you always had that intention. And it was just a matter of, of gaining that self-awareness. And then it sounds like an incredible partner to go on this travel journey. And now you and your wife, Monica, are giving that gift of travel to your two young kids. So take me back to the beginning of that, that story when you began to hatch that plan that we're going to sell all our stuff and we're going to hit the road indefinitely with our two kids and show them the world. Take me back to that story. Well, it it really started with Monica. She's got more of an itchy feet problem and she had never spent that long in one place. Um, And the longest she ever lived in one place was the 10 years we spent in our home in Vancouver. You know, it's a good thing to do when you've got young kids and you provide the stability. But then she 
she saw before I did getting into this routine and, and doing the, the same sort of thing. Yeah go to work, you come home, and you, you see your kids after work, not all the time. You go on some vacations once in a while, but they're never long enough. And as much as it's nice to have some downtime when the kids are at school, overall, you just don't spend that much time with them. And, and then you look down the road and you think, I'm basically going to be doing this for at least another 10 years. And that was more disturbing to her than it was to me. I thought, I wouldn't mind doing that sort of thing. We'll pay off our mortgage and then we'll have more money to travel and take some time off. But uh, then uh, she sort of worked on it. We're looking at a bunch of different options about taking some time off and what we would do with work and in our house and whether we'd rent or not. And then she showed me this video. It was a clip from a book uh, called Vagabonding by Rolf Rolf Potts, yes. And... Um, I was. I basically uh, watched this three-minute clip, uh, excerpt from the book with with accompanying video, and I came back in and I said, "I'm in." Um, and I guess it was her slowly wearing me down. But in that one day, I I was like, "Yeah, let's do it," and and let's not mess around. We we called it our effort uh, and go plan, and. We were just like, we just got to drop everything and, and just see where we land. And so that was two years uh, of planning, which seemed to go by slowly. The last couple months seemed very hectic trying to get everything done and, and uh, get everything in place for this trip. A three-minute video from Ralph Potts. That's a powerful three minutes. I'll link that up in the show notes because I want people to be, have the opportunity to watch for themselves. But see if you can just capture the essence of the transformation you experienced during those three minutes? Well, it starts off with a story talking about these two monks that had taken these vows. I think they're um, Catholic monks. And because of their vows, they couldn't really go anywhere or do anything. They, they, they had promised to, to stay in this uh, monastery and, and do their prayers day in and day out. But they had this desire to go, so they just always put it off. And in the spring, they said they go in the fall and whatnot. And in the fall, they said they go in the spring. And this just went on forever. And then it went on to just sort of talk about how life can just pass you by. And sometimes you need to just grab it by the short and curlies and and get out there. And you always put off to someday and someday just may never come, especially when it comes to kids. You know, there's going to be a time when they're just not going to be wanting to hang around you. And so this is a, a kind of a short window of opportunity between them being in diapers and having mm-hmm. to be pushed around in a stroller to them wanting to walk 10 feet ahead of you when you're walking down the street, rather than talk to their friends and to talk to you. So um, we also had, uh, in addition to that, some people in our lives, family and friends that uh, died unexpectedly, and it really brought that home. Um, two weeks after I brought this up, I uh, went home to visit my mom and dad. Uh, and two weeks after our visit, my mom died in her sleep unexpectedly, peacefully, mind you. But um, And uh, she was very supportive of everything. But, you know, that, that really re- brought it home that, you know, we just don't know what life's going to bring. And you might as well enjoy things while you can instead of just putting everything off and 
finding out, waking up one day, 20 years later, you've been doing more or less the same thing every day. Yes. Life is a, life is finite. It has mm-hmm. a definite end. We don't know when that end's coming. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be 50 years from now, but it's definitely a finite thing. We never know when that last breath is coming. And it sounds like you, my friend, are making the best of it with your wife and your kids and your fuck it and go plan. I love that you use that. That's very provocative language. And I love that you're injecting that into family travel. I think that's one thing that's missing in a way just kind of the grittiness that you're experiencing and the grittiness that you experienced prior to this trip and bringing that, that real world grit to, to a story that folks can, can really get behind. So let's dig in a little bit more to your adventures out on the road. So you haven't been, excuse me, you haven't been on the road all that long. Bring me up to speed about what you've been doing and, and what you're doing now. Well, the end of June, we sold our house and we started a cross Canada road trip basically went from Vancouver to Toronto and back in our van and tenting it most of the way, uh, checking out all the national parks and enjoying the fact that we actually had a whole summer off in Canada, which is generally the best time. We didn't have the best weather. It was unseasonably cold and wet, but we made the most of it. And we saw the national parks, the Rockies, Banff, Jasper, all those sort of things, and spent time with family along the way cousins and and uncles and friends in Alberta, my dad and some a lot of friends in Ontario. That's another part of our goal is that you just what do people look at at the end of their life? What are what are their priorities? And um, it is spending time with family and and doing the things that they've always wanted to do. So we just don't want to have regrets. So uh, this is we or trying our best to try to connect with our friends and family as much as possible as as we're going. So that was from June until the beginning of September when we went back to Vancouver. Um, and our sort of uh, home base now is my mother-in-law's place in Surrey, BC. Then we flew to South Korea. We spent one month in Busan, which is uh, the second largest city in, in South Korea. It's, uh, we are a five minute walk from the beach, which where the water was surprisingly warmer than the Great Lakes were, um, being the Pacific Ocean, that was a bit of a shock, but, uh, and it's a, it's a great city to be in. It's, it's not as expensive as North America or Europe, but definitely not as budget friendly as Thailand. And we thought it was a nice way to ease the kids into it. They were used to Korean food and whatnot. And my son, who's five almost six but he said you know during the day this place is just like canada but at night it really feels different and that's when all the lights come on and and uh and (laughs) you really it's visually more different but it's developed it's safe it's clean they have excellent infrastructure and and lots of things to do we spent six nights in japan because it was there we couldn't not go to japan but it's also we have a finite amount of money and when it's gone, we got to go home. So we're, we're mm-hmm. trying to make that last as long as we can. So uh, we did three nights in Kyoto to see the old part of Japan and three nights in Osaka to experience the more modern Japan and got a nice little taste of it there. And now we're spending two months in Thailand, one month in Chiang Mai, and then we're going to be heading south. You touched on a little bit your son observing difference, the difference between Korea and Canada. He said, when the lights come on at night, talk to me about some of the other observations, differences, things that are happening every day that are shaping your kids' worldview 
they're going to have a, just a, such a different worldview from the other kids that are sort of growing up back in the relative safety of Vancouver. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, uh, kids sometimes you ask them, oh, what, what did you like the most? And they'll, they'll mention the candy that they had or, or something like that. And, or, you know, the little toy that we bought them. But one of the biggest changes is the fact that like, we don't have our stuff. We're traveling carry on only. And um, they have each a little tiny backpack with a few toys in there, but we can't buy all the things that they want us to buy. They love to go to toy stores and things like that. And, and see stuff. That's been a big change from having, you know, a decent size home and, and lots of toys. And also just transport. We were actually really surprised, like that we were a little concerned when we came to Thailand that, you know, we're not staying in the fancy place and it's not in the, the, the most touristed part of town. Thailand can be a little rough around the edges unless you're in the nice resorts and uh, around the nice restaurants, which are almost the same price as eating back home. We're eating more or less where the locals eat and that sort of thing. And, and, and the kids love it. You know, they actually, this is their favorite place they've been so far, which has kind of surprised us in a way. They like riding in the back of a red truck through town where there's no seatbelts. <laughs> and I think they, they appreciate the, the sense of danger that, um, that is not always afforded to them in Western world, you know, where everything is uh, padded and everybody has to be kept on a short leash. So how did you prepare them for that, for, for giving up everything that they had grown accustomed to, to suddenly living out of carry-on only luggage, which is, like you said, a small handful of toys. And how did you prepare them for that before the trip? We just kept drilling it into them, really. Uh, we just kept telling them, well, you know, you're going to have to give this up and reminding them on a regular basis, helping them sort of to, to live in the moment and, and appreciate what they have. And knowing that it's not going to be there forever, I mean that's that's another huge part of this is is just being in the moment, and I think that's just a, a good way to live in general for anybody, no matter what age you are. It was just constant reminders, and we just kept you know slowly getting rid of stuff in the home, and and every you know especially in the last year there was always something going, whether it was a piece of furniture or it was some big toys and and helping them by giving it to their friends and neighbors. And if they felt it was somebody that they liked, they were happy to, to give it up and then hmm. they could maybe see it again when they go and visit them once in a while. So that, that definitely helped. You've mentioned it several times, this, this appreciation of our own mortality. And I don't think that's a, an uncommon concept. I think a lot of people, if you, if you ask them to think logically about it, will say, yes, I'm going to die someday. There are days that go by weeks, months at a time that might go by where I feel like I'm not doing what I want to be doing. But very few people, and I mean very, very, very few people of which you're one of these rare people, Peter, and you and your family as well, actually are doing something about it. We all have these these moments where we feel like we're, we're made for something more, but not very many people ultimately take dramatic action, but you did. What's, what's special about you? Well, I think it probably goes back to my mom, uh, who was a nurse as well. I'm a third generation nurse, um, and she was worked in palliative care a lot. I was there while my grandfather died of cancer in a palliative care hospital. I was holding my grandmother's hand as she took her last breath. Um, I looked. Uh, I was in nursing school while she was um, living uh, in a nursing home, and so I even got to work there and, and take care of her. 
And I focused on palliative care. I minored in religious studies, started a lot of death and dying courses. And then throughout my nursing career, I have, I've worked in hospice, palliative care. I can't count the number of people that I've seen die. And I've had a lot of conversations of people who know that they are dying. It's, it's, it's a part of life. It's something that nobody can escape. And the sooner we accept this as, as an inevitability and not something horrible. My, my daughter's really big in the Harry Potter these days. And I often make the uh, comparison to the word Voldemort. People can't even say death or died. They always say passed away and passed. So as a legacy to my mom, I always, every time somebody brings it up and they say passed away, I said, you know what? My mom never really liked that. And it's also what I was taught in school is that you need to just make this a normal thing and, and, and to call it what it is. And uh, as Dumbledore said to Harry Potter, you know, we, we, to, to not be, say his name is to, to give him power. So you could save Voldemort, say death, say dying, and and it just ha- constantly uh, good to to appreciate life. It's not about being morbid or being afraid. It's just like enjoy what you have. Hundred percent, I agree with you on the death thing. Total aside here, the comedian George Carlin had a great routine about the softening of language and how somehow by if we soften the language, we feel like that's going to somehow soften whatever it is we're trying to describe, whether it's saying passed away to describe death or post-traumatic stress disorder to describe the psychological trauma faced by so many soldiers. Changing those words don't change the condition, but there's somehow, for some reason in our culture, we find this need to soften our language. And I've made a conscious choice with my kids to not do that. And it becomes a little bit harder, especially when they're in school, knowing that you know it's once they get outside and the things they might be repeating could have a an adverse effect. You don't have that problem, my friend, because your kids aren't in school. And we're going to talk about that in just yeah. a second. But before we move on, you were talking about palliative care and it reminded me of, of a book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, which was written by a palliative care nurse. And I'm mm-hmm. going to read these real quick. These are the top five regrets of the dying as documented by a, a woman in Australia who was a palliative care nurse for many years. Number five was, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Number four was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Number three, I wish I had had the courage to express my feelings. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And the number one regret of the dying was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. So I hope that kind of puts the exclamation point on your on your story there. That there's a lot to be learned by people who have been around individuals who are in the final days of their lives. Yeah, that's a really good point. There's another really good book called um, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And my mom actually gave me that book two weeks before she died. And um, he is a doctor whose father died. And it, it, it goes through the aging and dying process. Actually, it's excellent, excellent book. It hits all the same points. And I've just recently finished the audio book of that. Love that. I'll link that up in the show notes as well as the top five regrets of the dying. We're going to have lots to link up here in the show notes. Again, we're talking to Peter Scott, who's traveling the world with his family and he writes a blog at earthfamilytravel.com. We're going to talk a little bit more about the blog in a, a minute, Peter, but let's talk about schooling. Let's talk about that, that education. Now you, you describe world schooling your kids and what I've learned about world schooling, I don't know much and I'm looking for you to fill in these gaps here. From what I've learned about world school, schooling is that these are a very passionate group of people and there are some relatively strict parameters that define world schooling. So tell me about what world schooling means to you and what's your role in that community. 
Well, first of all, as far as my wife is concerned, the parameters are not very strict. And it's actually kind of the opposite of that. I know some other people may not feel the same way. The way we're doing it, basically, uh, we're very lucky where we live in British Columbia. They have a a program called Self-Design, which is through the provincial education system. And it um, links you up with another teacher who's like a liaison, and they do like weekly check-ins with you. They provide us with all kinds of resources, um, online resources, apps, and and, uh, websites and whatnot. Um, that uh, help the kids with, you know, reading, math, and, and all the geography, every subject matter you can think of. There's more resources than we can even utilize. And they, they even give you money. It's difficult to access those funds sometimes um, because there's a whole process and easier to do that when we're in Canada because you have to have criminal record checks on any instructors and whatnot. So uh, we managed to get, like, a subscription to an online book service, which is called... Uh, Epic Books, um, I think getepic.com, which is you can download these books and they're every kind of book for kids, graphic novels and, and from for every age level, which is really great. You can put them offline and read them on your tablet or, or laptop on a bus or an airplane too. And then the, the world part of it is basically having the opportunity to, to talk to your kids and answer their questions, which is one thing. And, and looking at every single thing that you do as a learning opportunity and whether it's looking at like transportation or infrastructure, like we looked at the recycling programs they have in South Korea, which are absolutely incredible. They almost waste nothing there. It's illegal to throw food waste away and has been for like 16 years or something. And after one month, we had one bag of garbage living there. Things like that and sustainability, which is part of the Earth family travel thing, which is another thing that we're trying to help our kids learn about climate change and and our impact and and traveling sustainably. But, you know, taking them to historical places where where every time we have a look at a map, we're always trying to say, where did we come from? Where did we go? Where are we now? Uh, Is an opportunity for geography. Looking at temples, history of a place, language, and all these things comes in Math is, is an opportunity to learn with when they look at uh, currencies. So they can look at some candy in the store and say, oh, that's actually only 50 cents Canadian. And they can figure that out from Bot already. So everything is a learning opportunity is, is basically the way to do it and kind of going with the flow. I love those little lessons. And just thinking about all the lessons that, that I've learned from travel over the years and also the bonding time that I had with my family over the years, just doing just some quick math on, you haven't been on the road all that long, but you've already had for what a lot of people would be a couple of lifetimes worth of, of trips with your, with your family, with your kids. And they've had essentially a couple of lifetimes worth of time on the road to be learning those lessons and, and engaging with, with, with cultures and little, and just making those little memories. And it's sometimes it's not always the things that we think are going to be the big show stopping memories. Sometimes it's something as simple as, you know, exchanging money with a, with a shopkeeper or a street vendor, little things like that, or riding in the red truck without a seatbelt. That's might be the thing that they remember and really latch onto that becomes part of the fabric of who they are. And I just love that you're taking the time to move slowly and let them kind of experience that organically over, over a long period of time. That's, that's super cool. And uh, it's certainly very fortunate to, to hear your story. So speaking of your story, 
Earth Family Travel. So not only have you taken on this incredible responsibility of having your family on the road, but you're also keeping up a blog, which is no small task. So how do you make that work? What are your goals for the blog? First of all, it's been more of a struggle than we initially thought to just to keep up with it. It was sort of my idea. And uh, my wife has really been doing a lot of the uh, heavy lifting with that as far as writing and things, but she has a talent for it. And, uh, and, but it, it's hard to find the time. I mean, I, I, I thought, Oh, we'd have all this time. I, I mean, I, I dabble in, in uh, making music like electronic music and things like that. And I, I, I thought I'd be doing all kinds of stuff with that. And I, I haven't even looked at it since we left. In all, in all of your downtime? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Downtime is, is limited, you know, um, and the amount of time that we're, we're taking just to sort of look into the next leg of our journey is, is huge. And we're just booking a place on Colanta this evening for the podcast. But uh, it, it takes a lot of work and, and, and we're, we've been learning a lot. And a lot of this is just, you know, it's fun to learn new skills. You know, we built our own website using uh, Wix.com and trying to format things in a way that is kind of has a broad appeal. We like to focus on families and and trying to help families who might be thinking about doing something like this to give them the resources to do it, so it's not a big scary mystery. And slowly, we're we're working away on it. We're still a little behind. We're still uh, putting up some posts from our time in Korea, and we're two countries away from there now. Hmm. But we're just going to keep plugging away. Our Instagram, which is also at Earth Family Travel, is more or less up to date now. That is all linked up to our blog as well. We're not doing glamour shots or anything like that. <laughs> just kind of go through our stuff and find some of the shots are really pretty. Other shots tell a little story. Um, uh, Monica just put one up and we're at this uh, monastery and uh, just see if I can remember the quote is, uh, some of the most difficult paths often lead to the most beautiful destinations. We found this after walking around in the heat with our kids who were not having a great time, <laughs> which is a whole other side of this whole thing is just because you could spend all day with your kids doesn't mean that they're going to be behaving like angels all the time. And they're still not, kids, huh? <laughs> they're still kids. And oh man, there has been some trying times where we have just in the moment said, are, what are we doing here? Are, are we wrecking our kids? Is this making things worse just because they had a bad day or two? And uh, it's important to put that in perspective. Like they still have bad days when we're at home and we mm -hmm. have all the comforts um, to provide them with. And this is a challenge and it's, it's hard on everybody. So that's part of it. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, hoping that uh, people can enjoy our blog and we're looking forward to people providing feedback and, and letting us know if there's certain things that they want to know more about and uh, you're welcome to, uh, to get in touch with us through our website, earthfamilytravel.com. Yeah, and we'll link that up in the show notes as well at familytravel.org slash radio. We'll have all the different ways you can interact and engage with Peter and his family, whether it's the blog or the Instagram. Peter, have you thought about a podcast, my friend? You seem like a perfect candidate for one. <laughs> I have thought about a podcast. Actually, uh, getting connected with you, it's been a, a learning experience, but uh, I appreciate the organization and everything that you put into this. And I'm like, oh man, there's so many things to think about. There's so many details. Yeah, now it's, it's something my wife was just saying this to me this evening. 
I like to talk. I think you and I probably share that in common. And when I'm traveling, you know, I, I meet somebody along the road and sometimes I, I maybe go off a little long. And if I recorded that, it might make some good content, you know? So yeah, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> and then you transcribe that and then you have a blog post, add a couple photos. You got, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a bit of a content waterfall as a friend of mine calls it. You know, you start at the top sometimes, whether it's video or audio, and then it, you can trickle down into blog posts, which can trickle down into social media. But just thinking about it more of a holistic process, as opposed to each different piece of content, you know, being created in a silo, if you think about it, and mm-hmm. you'll get better at that. Cause you're, you're still in early days, man. But I think you're going to, you're, you've got, you've got the passion and it sounds like your wife's got the writing chops. You've got the gift of gab. I think you guys are in good shape. Appreciate it. Speaking of podcasting, I hope this podcast is a, is a great resource for families, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, you're out there in the trenches doing it. What are some of the podcasts that have provided you with the inspiration and information to, to do what you do? Yeah, I started with um, uh, listening to, I think, Zero to Travel with uh, Jason Moore was one of the first ones. Um, Extra Pack of Peanuts is a good one. Travis has been on this show. Yeah, yeah, and both of those guys now have families and and uh, are into the family travel uh, zone as well. Um, Epic Education has been a good one, though I haven't heard a lot from uh, is it Andrew, Jason, Andrew Jenkins, and I can tell yes. you a little nugget about Jason. He and I, he I interviewed him for my podcast, and then in the same day, immediately after that, he interviewed me for his podcast, and that interview is sitting on ice somewhere because he hasn't been active. He hasn't published a podcast in a little over a year, I think. So somewhere out there is an interview where Jason interviewed me. It's sitting just cooling on ice. Great guy, though. Great guy. Yeah, and I, his 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 blog is excellent. Lots of great resources there. He's in Osaka, and I almost thought about trying to connect with him while we were there, but the, our time was limited. But the one thing that I've always noticed is that nobody that I've followed along has done things exactly the way we're doing or, or that close to the way we're doing. So that's when I thought that putting our, our blog out there is a little bit different, that sometimes they're not budget focused. Sometimes this is just a set date. They're, they're going to be back to their real life in one year. And our story is going to be evolving. We don't know what we're going to do at the end of this. There's a lot of possibilities. Our, our, um, our backup plan is to buy a mansion in Halifax if nothing else works out. But that's a real, real estate's good there. That's a real sob story of a backup plan you got there. <laughs> well, mansion being relative to Vancouver real estate, Halifax is, uh, is pretty darn affordable. So when you guys are thinking and evaluating your progress and evaluating, you know, where to go next or, or whether to go anywhere next or whether to go home, how, how does that work? Is there a, is there a democracy? How does, how does that dynamic work? Well, a lot of it has to do with budget. You know, we're, we're keeping tabs, pretty close tabs on that. It is a democracy. I mean, luckily my wife and I see eye to eye. We're, we're different people with different personalities and they say opposites attract and that's definitely been the case but our passions have always been closely aligned our values have always been aligned and so you know when we first decided to do our our uh, around the world trip when we were four kids we were on the same page and for this one it maybe took me a little while to get me out of my comfort zone which is an important thing for everyone to do but once i did i did and 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 the kids definitely have a say too but ultimately, it's up to us. Some people let their kids choose their destinations, but sometimes they they want to go to expensive places. And we're like, well, if we go there, we'll have to go home sooner. <laughs> so 
So going to see the Eiffel Tower or something like that might not be on the list. Maybe England will if Brexit destroys their economy, but uh, (laughs) we'll see. So we talk a lot about the kids and the impact that the travel has on them. There's so many positives that can come out of this, but let's talk about the the grownups. How has this experience impacted yours and your wife's relationship with each other? I mean, it's definitely puts a little bit of like when we were working, we were were both uh, like I was working full time before this started and um, Monica was working um, around my schedule. So uh, we were always at home and there's always one of us at home with the kids. So we did have time off together, but we didn't have a lot of time off together. So we're definitely spending more time together now, but we don't have time together away from the kids so much. Um, Monica's sister and uh, our niece were just visiting with us here in Chiang Mai for a couple of weeks. And we forgot to ask her to let us have a night out together. <laughs> uh, so that's one regret. We've made this we had this plan that we're always going to give each other a day off a week or something like that. So we could each do our own thing. And, and that's an important thing. And um, we haven't been keeping up with that as much as we hoped to, but so we do need to make more of an effort with that. Even things like separating the kids. So they get time apart from each other because they can get on each other's nerves as you know, kids do. So that's an important thing. Um, and having these conversations is, is sometimes a, a good reminder of uh, our priorities. So um, I, I'm, I've been bugging Monica to, to plan a day off, though she did get some spa days with her sister, so she's trying to say that counts. But I think it's different when you're on your own. I often uh, get to go out for a walk after the kids go to sleep. That's one of my things is I just go for a walk about the neighborhood and explore. And, and sometimes I find, like, undiscovered playgrounds that I'll take the kids to the next day. But, uh, but it's fun to get to know your way around the city and to find out where things are and, and just to have that time to yourself. When sometimes you end up in the, in the lobby recording podcasts at one thirty in the morning. <laughs> exactly. But, that's, but, but that, but that's work, my friend, not that my vote counts, but the spa day, something should come back your way in, in response to that. But that's just between you and me and everyone <laughs> listening to the podcast. Oh, oh, I get my time. I get my time. No worries there. Indeed. All right. Well, Peter, my friend, I could go on all day. I think this has been a wonderful, fantastic and insightful conversation, but I'm going to gonna let you go here. Just want to leave our listeners with a final call to action. Just know that you can travel long-term to exotic locations with your children and taking them out of the school system can enhance their learning and growth, not impede it. That is directly from the mouth of Peter Scott, who's been our guest today. Peter from Earth Family Travel. Peter, really appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Now go get some sleep. Okay. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, this is Edge Line. Aaron's my dad. I really hope you enjoyed his chat with Peter Scott. All the notes are waiting for you at familytravel.org slash radio. Thanks for listening to Family Travel Radio. This is Abe Schlein, and I'm signing off.